Hello, and welcome back for this leadership special episode of the CF Armed Forces podcast with me, your host, James Clark. On this month's episode, we speak to the final two candidates in a Conservative leadership race, one of whom will become the Prime Minister on the 5th of September. Both candidates were asked the same questions over the weekend of the 30th to the 31st of July. Our first guest is the Foreign Secretary, the Right Honourable Liz Truss. She's the MP for South West Norfolk and has been since 2010, and she's the longest serving cabinet member in government. She's held portfolios in education, DEFRA, justice and the treasury. She's also the Minister for Women and Equalities. Liz, thank you so much for joining me on the CF Armed Forces podcast. I know you have a really busy schedule, so I'm going to dive right in. Why do you want to become the leader of the Conservative Party and our next Prime Minister? I'm somebody who's not from a traditional Conservative background. I grew up in Paisley and then in Leeds, where I went to comprehensive school. What I, what I saw at my school is children being let down by low expectations, lack of opportunities and patchy education. And what I want us to be is a country where everybody can succeed regardless of where they're from. I want it to be an aspiration nation. And that is what's motivated me to go into politics, to unleash people's potential, to give people more control over their own lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, what, what do you feel are the three most sort of pressing major challenges that we face in the country at the moment? I think the biggest challenge we face is the global economic situation. There's been a huge blowback from COVID. We also have the challenge in Britain of, of having low growth for a number of decades. And what that means is it means that people aren't able to earn what they could earn. We're not seeing the business growth we need to see and we're not seeing the opportunities. So what I would do is turbocharge the economy, be bold, do things differently, reduce taxes, take advantage of the post-Brexit opportunities so that we can grow the economy. And that's my number one focus. We also face a challenge to level up our country. We promised in 2019 that we were going to level up Britain. Uh, we need to be bold in doing that. I want to set up new low-tax investment zones to attract businesses, keep corporation tax low, uh, so we can attract that new investment into our country, but also completely change the Treasury funding formula to make sure it's fair across the country and that communities are getting the infrastructure that they need, whether that's the mobile telephone signal, the trains, uh, the roads that they need to succeed. The final issue and absolutely crucial is security. Putin's appalling invasion of Ukraine has damaged the security, not just of the entire European continent, but also of the whole world. It's made us more insecure. And I would be tough in standing up for Putin. I would be tough against an increasingly assertive China, continuing to lead our G7 allies on economic sanctions sending weapons to Ukraine to support them in their struggle for freedom and democracy. Because if we don't do that, Putin will try to go further. You know, Eastern Europe is under threat and the whole security of our, our continent is under threat. That is why it's so vital that we take a strong stand. So, so kind of growth, 
leveling up and security. I think that's going to be music to the ears of our, our members. Um, obviously, the, the, the contest is now really focused on, um, on yourself and um, Rishi Sunak. Where do you think you differ from your, your rival in this? What's your USP? Well, first of all, I want us to have a bold new economic policy that is lower tax, that is less regulation, and that is focused on rewarding people who work hard to do the right thing, whether those people running small businesses, people who are employed, people who are self-employed. And I would immediately uh, cancel and reverse the national insurance rise and have a temporary moratorium on the green levy to save people money on their energy bills, because we face a real issue with the cost of living. And what I'd also do is have low-tax investment zones to attract investment and replace the top-down housing targets in our country with locally grown innovation and locally driven house building. Uh, that's, that's what I support. And the thing about me is I'm prepared to drive things through government and take on Whitehall and get things done. People said that we wouldn't be able to achieve the trade deals we did. We achieved dozens, including ones that the EU hasn't got, uh, with Australia and with Japan. In, in the Foreign Office, I've put in place the toughest sanction regime on Putin in the world, and I've pushed through the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill to resolve the issues in Northern Ireland and restore the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. So I'm somebody who's prepared to challenge the orthodoxy and to be bold. And I think that's what we need uh, in the run-up to the general election, is to deliver on what people wanted, which was a bold new approach. Yeah, indeed. Um, where do you stand on our current defence policy? Well, first of all, can I say that I've worked very, very closely with Ben Wallace on our response to Ukraine. And we've both worked hard to make sure Ukraine has what it needs, both in terms of political support and the weapons to fight uh, this war, this war that has been perpetrated by Putin. And the integrated review identified Russia as the biggest threat. It also identified China as a threat. But I think we need to make sure we are adding to that review because the threat has increased. And what I would do different from what we're doing now is I would increase defence spending to 3% by the end of the decade because the threat has increased. We need to support uh, our armed forces and we need to put our money where our mouth is. One of my big campaigns as a Norfolk MP was to secure the base uh, of the RAF, uh, RAF Marham and the F-35s. The Americans are now uh, putting the F-30, their F-35 next door in Lakenheath. And what we need is a fully uh, modernised uh, modernized defence that is capable of dealing both with the cyber threats we face, but also the traditional uh, threats and making sure that we renew our nuclear deterrent as well. Oh, you've, you've, you've sort of covered a, a lot of ground there, which I'm, I'm sort of a bit concerned that my next question is a bit superfluous. But, you know, you, you've talked about Ukraine and Putin, you've talked about uh, cyber warfare. What do you think are the greatest challenges that face the UK in defence terms? Well, the big, the big issue we face is that our adversaries have used both hard force and economic leverage against us. 
Russia has sought to make Europe dependent on its gas. Uh, we see China trying to increase the strategic dependency of other countries. And what I'm focused on as Foreign Secretary is building a network of liberty of like-minded countries to challenge, uh, challenge those aggressors and instead make sure we're working more with each other. We're building security partnerships such as AUKUS uh, with Australia and America, which is about the procurement of nuclear-powered submarines as well as uh, working together in areas like AI and quantum, you know, working much more closely with Japan, uh, working much more closely with our friends in Eastern Europe, like Poland. And that is what we need to do. We need the alternative. I've also worked with our allies to develop the alternative to Belt and Road, uh, because we know that China is looking to increase economic dependency from third countries, and we need to counter that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of our members, you know, in discussions that we've had over the, the last few years would, would agree with a lot of points that you've made. Um, finally, could you or would you like to give a, a message to any serving armed forces personnel um, or veterans, of which we have quite, quite a number in our, our group, and also our members who are, who are just people who are in some way, you know, feel an affinity with the armed forces? Is, is there anything, you know, sort of message that you'd like to give them? Well, a message I would like to give to everybody is thank you for your service to our country. I don't think it's ever been more vital. And I don't think the world has faced a more difficult situation for decades. I'm committed to giving you the support you need through increased defence funding, uh, making sure we respect our commitments to veterans, making sure we're making good use of people who leave the armed forces, uh, who can be incredibly valuable in business, in civil society, and indeed working in government. I'm determined that we have all of the tools we need to keep our country safe. I'm determined that we will stand up against aggressors like Putin, and we will ensure that freedom and democracy prevail. And I thank you uh, and all your colleagues for the work you do protecting our country. Foreign Secretary, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you. And, uh, and it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Our second guest is the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak MP. He was elected to the seat of Richmond in 2015 and previously has held positions in the Treasury and MHCLG. Thank you so much for joining me on the CF Armed Forces podcast. Um, I know you've got a really busy schedule, so I'll dive right in with my first question. Why do you want to become the leader of the Conservative Party and the next Prime Minister? Well, thank you, James. Nice to spend some time with you and all your listeners. Look, I, I was raised with a certain set of values, hard work, aspiration, the importance of family and service. I think those are conservative values. Those are my values. I imagine they're the values of most of the people listening as well. And I want to be prime minister and our leader because I want to translate those values into action in a government that will build a better future for people. Now, this country does something extraordinary for my family by welcoming them here as immigrants and allowing them to build a better life and provide opportunity for me. And I want to do the same thing. That's why I want to be PM because I want everyone your children, grandchildren, to have those same fantastic opportunities that I do. Perfect. Um, 
And, and what do you feel are the three most major challenges facing the country at the moment? Right. I think if I was going to put it in three buckets, I think the first one is probably the economy. I think the second one is the threat that we face to our safety and security. And then the third one are getting some domestic issues grit. So if I go through those, maybe in turn, I think, look, on, on the economy, the number one thing that we have to grip is inflation. And if we don't get a grip of it soon, it will make everyone poorer in the long run. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. And, you know, I set out a clear plan to do that because I want to ease the burdens for people on the cost of living, for example, by cutting VAT this autumn. But what I don't want to do is embark on uh, a, a big borrowing spree that will make the situation far worse and last longer. But I also have a vision for growing the economy. And I think we need to think radically and differently about our tax system to get companies to be investing more and innovating more, because that's how you create the jobs of the future and raise people's wages and drive up growth. So I want to do that. Uh, and then I want to make sure that we share the proceeds of that growth fairly with everybody. And that means cutting income tax. And that's why today I announced a radical plan to cut the basic rate of income tax by 20% over the next few years and do it in a responsible way. That means we're not burdening our kids with bills that we couldn't pick up, but we're growing the economy, being disciplined on public spending, and then cutting people's taxes. So that, that's, that's the first big challenge we face is grappling with the economy. And people have seen me do that over the past couple of years. And I think everyone recognizes that the biggest challenge facing us now. And I've got the experience and the ability to deal with that for everybody. Uh, the second one, as I said, is, is the threats that we face to our safety and security. Now, very obviously, you can see that abroad in Russia right now with Ukraine, you know, China, the Chinese Communist Party also poses a threat to our security. Uh, that's apparent. And we, them and other countries are trying to infiltrate our technology, our universities, our companies. And we need to be very robust in guarding against that. Uh, but also, uh, we've got people who want to do us harm here at home. So, you know, particularly, I'm, I'm concerned about the violence against women and girls. And I want to make sure that we have a society where my two young daughters can grow up and feel safe as they walk around. And we call out the, the pernicious crime of grooming, which for too long we haven't focused on for all the reasons that everybody knows. But I don't want to let political correctness stand in the way of a conservative government really tackling that issue, which I want to do as prime minister. So those, that's the kind of second set of challenges of protecting us all. And then the, the third one, I think, as I said, there are some domestic issues that just need gripping and resolving, because if we don't, people are being let down. And I want to make sure that I fix those problems. So that is illegal migration, first and foremost. And there's a, on my website, there's a detailed 10-point plan that I've put out and a video which people can have a look at to show how I'm going to get grip with that problem and make sure we control our borders. And that may require us to do things differently legally, which I'm completely prepared to do to make our Rwanda policy work. But similarly, I want to bring uh, a boldness and a new set of thinking to reforming public services, in particular the NHS. Because if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to get the backlog down and get people the care they need. And I don't want to run a government where the answer is always we have to throw more money at the problem. We can't do that. What we do need to do is get reform and efficiency in our public services and get more out of them, starting with the NHS. So that's that's the, what I want to deliver. So that, those would be the, the three big buckets of challenge that I'd like to grip as PM.
But thanks. I mean, they're, they're large buckets, and you've, you've you know yes. <laughs> articulated them. And I think, to be honest, a lot of the um, a lot of our our listeners and a lot of our members at CF Armed Forces will you know what you said about security will really resonate. So um, so, so thanks for that. Um, my next question. Um, obviously, there's been a, there's been a lot of, of back and forth between um, you and and Liz um, about sort of fiscal policy and, and tax cuts, etc. Um, but but sort of where do you think you differ? If you had to kind of um, put it in a nutshell, where where do you differ, um, and what's your kind of USP? But when it when I think about leadership, you know what I believe I offer is leadership that is based on honesty based on having the courage of my convictions and leadership that's prepared to do difficult things, right? That's what leadership means to me. And as you can see in this election campaign, that's how I have set out my stall, right? It's about being honest about the challenges we face. It's about having the courage of my convictions of that, or whether it was supporting Brexit originally or making sure that we didn't walk into another lockdown uh, last um, last December, you know, I'm someone who does act on principle, and I'm someone who's not unprepared to make difficult decisions. And I think that's an important quality of leadership. And I think that's what I will bring to this job. And even though it's not making my life any easier in this contest, I'm going to stick with those principles because that's who I am. And I think that's what being a good leader is all about. But I think also that people saw me during the pandemic as chancellor, and I, I think they saw me act boldly, radically and competently to grip an incredibly difficult situation and steer our economy through it, affecting millions of jobs and businesses in the process. And people hopefully can see that I will bring that same zeal, that same energy and grip to all the other challenges that government faces at the moment. And I will be able to apply myself to solving them and building a better future for our country. Um, sw- switching now um, to the sort of subject that, that the uh, the podcast is kind of geared towards uh, more. Um, where do you stand on sort of current defence policy and the integrated review? Yeah, so look, I was the chancellor who made sure that we put in place the largest uplift in defence spending since the end of the Cold War. And it's something that all your listeners will have followed for years, the black hole in the MOD's budget, the lack of a long-term funding settlement. Well, I was the chancellor who singled out the MOD in advance of all other departments in the middle of coronavirus to get it a long-term settlement with significant extra funding because that was the right thing to do. And I wanted to do that alongside the IR, the integrated review, to make sure that those things were all joined up as they should be. Now, defence spending is on a trajectory of of increases anyway, as everybody knows, up to 2.5%. And my view is that we shouldn't fixate on arbitrary targets. Of course, our NATO commitment is uh, a floor and not a ceiling. But you know what I've said is we should take a threat-based approach to defence spending. And the commitment I will give you and all your listeners in the country is simple. It's that I will invest whatever it takes to keep this country safe. And that's what I did as Chancellor, whether it was in the MOD uplift or indeed finding £2 billion across government spending to send to Ukraine to help them stand up to Russia and stand up for our values. You know, that's my track record as Chancellor. And as I said, as Prime Minister, I will make sure we invest whatever is required to keep our country safe. Music to our ears. Um, um, what do you think are the greatest challenges facing the UK in defence terms? You've talked a bit about uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Um, you mentioned the CCP as well. Um, but just going into a little bit more detail, 
Um, what, what do you think the sort of threats that we're facing um, look like over the coming sort of five, 10 years? No, I think actually the challenge is, is evolving to the future threat that we face. And you know, the threat picture is constantly changing and we need to make sure that we're a couple of steps ahead of that in our capabilities. And to give you a sense of that, when I was a backbench MP, I wrote a report about a future threat, and that was a threat to our undersea cable. Because we think of you know, the data that drives the modern world, all the communications and data, we think of it as running through the air in the cloud, but it doesn't. It all runs through cables that sit on the bottom of the ocean floor. And they're a critical piece of international infrastructure that our security depends on. And you know, they weren't particularly safe, and they hadn't been identified as a serious uh, risk. And I wrote a, a far-reaching report looking at that from a security perspective, it was endorsed by the former uh, National Security Advisor, head of GCHQ, the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, and the former Chief of Defence Staff. And then subsequently, that, that report was picked up by, I think, two or three more Chief of Defence Staffs in their various speeches. Uh, and I think that should give people some comfort that I'm someone who is looking forward to the threat that our country faces and making sure that we're protected against them. Now, people think of me as someone who understands business and economics and the economy, but there's an example of me actually thinking about the security of this country in a, in a far-sighted way. And you know, if people have got five minutes, go, you know, go online and, and Google it and have a look at Rishi Sunak Undersea Cables, go and read the report. I'd be interested in people's comments and reflections on it. Um, but I think it, you know, it, there will be many more threats like that that are going to come down the track and making sure that we are geared up. And it's not just investment of money, it's about capabilities and technological advantage, that we are geared up to protect ourselves against them is critical. And that's what I will always push our, our, uh, our military advisors on, is thinking about tomorrow's threat and making sure that we're protected against them today. It's almost kind of being agile and being responsive to future threats rather than identifying them and then planning towards them, um, which, yeah, I think, I think that's... Uh, yeah, exactly. Because we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to anticipate absolutely everything. So, you know, having the agility and flexibility to respond to what comes our way is incredibly important. And that's a mindset mm. shift that also has been happening over the past few years that we need to make sure is, is really embedded because we don't live in a static world, right? We, we, we need to have that nimbleness to respond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so final, final point, final question, um, just in case, if, would you like to give a message to um, we've got serving armed forces personnel who'll be listening, veterans make up some of our membership, and also our members are kind of just anyone who's sort of affiliated with the military. So if yeah. there's just any kind of concluding remarks that you've got for, for them. Well, I so, say, you know, I rep I'm really privileged to represent a well, in a constituency where I represent Catholic Garrison, which is our largest army garrison, and also an RAF base at RAF Leeming. And so I have one of the largest populations of both serving personnel and veterans in my own community at home in North Yorkshire. And so I see firsthand the extraordinary contribution all of you make to our country and your sacrifice, your duty is heroic. And I see it week in, week out, and we all owe you an enormous debt of gratitude for that. But it also gives me a, a very particular perspective on how best the government can serve you. And that is a combination of supporting our veterans when they leave the armed forces with the help that they need. And I'm, I'm proud to assign uh, Johnny Mercer's Veterans Pledge and work with Johnny on that fact. 
And, you know, we need to make sure that the care people need is joined up properly. Actually, there's lots of support that's out there. And I know that as I'm helping my own veteran, but it's not always easy to access. It's not joined up properly. And we must do a better job of that. Uh, you know, and I was pleased as Chancellor to support, you know, Op Courage, for example, which has really improved access to mental health for almost 20,000 veterans now, um, which, is, which is something we should all be very proud of. Uh, but also it's about opportunity. You know, in, in people who leave the armed forces, you know, have an incredible uh, amount that they can contribute to our country and our businesses and our economy. And having spent time in the US, I really have, have learned from, from over there that there are different ways for us to do that and actually make sure that we provide people leaving the armed forces with fantastic opportunities to build second careers and harness the extraordinary capabilities and talents that they bring. And, and I'm actually excited about what more we can do in that space. But you know, I guess I, I mainly just say thank you to all of you for what you do and have done for our country and continue to do. And just assure you that, as you can tell, based on my own experience at home, I'd, I'd be privileged to run a government that is the most supportive of veterans and our serving personnel that, that you've seen, because that's what you completely deserve. Sunak, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you and, uh, and good luck. Thanks very much, James. Thanks Take so care. much. Cheers. A huge thank you to both of our guests on this month's podcast. For more information on the leadership hustings and how to vote, please go to www.conservatives.com. Thank you for listening to this month's edition of the CF Armed Forces podcast. For more information on our organisation, please go to www.cfarmedforces.org. We hope you join us again next month.